And Father, we ask that you tailor this word for every situation. That's our prayer. And we believe the Holy Spirit will manifest himself as the teacher, causing the complex to be made simple in Jesus' name. So in advance, we give you alone the praise, the glory, the honor, and adoration for all that shall be accomplished, all that shall be revealed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Romans chapter 4 is where we want to go today. Romans chapter 4, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to walk through this today. Romans chapter 4, amen. All right, now, where is my clock? I need to know where the clock is. All righty. Okay, they don't have any time up there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you already started my clock? All right, praise the Lord. All right. Let's raise our Bibles. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer, not a doubter. I'm a doer, not just a hearer. And my life is the better after having heard the word of faith. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing, hearing by the word of God. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 4 and uh, verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, a uh, father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believe in hope, believed in hope, <clears throat> that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, I want you to focus on this. He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And, verse 21, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And that's what we want to talk about, fully persuaded. Being fully persuaded. Amen. Now, the position of being fully persuaded is the position that God wants all of us in. That's a position where nothing shakes us, that nothing uh, throws us off course because we are fully persuaded that whatever he promised, he's able to perform it. Now, of course, here in, in um, Romans chapter 4 is the revised resume of Abraham. You say revised resume, yes, because Abraham was not always at this place of being fully persuaded. If you go back over to Genesis chapter 15, you see his original resume, and there he was in doubt and unbelief. In fact, he was even challenging God, saying, God, where is the promise? God, you know, uh, you know, I still don't have a seed. And how do you get from Genesis chapter 15 to, Reve to Romans chapter 4? That's the subject today. How to reach the place where you are fully persuaded. And so Abraham in his state, in the statement that Paul makes about him, uh, uh, gives us uh, uh, how to get to this place because that's what we want to do. We want to get to a place in God where we have such confidence in him that no matter what we have to face, no matter what we go through, that it never shakes us. We can stay on point because we are 
fully, yeah, 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 fully persuaded. That's why we want to go with the lesson today. So being fully persuaded is, is, is where God wants us and we want to be fully persuaded. And, and this is what God taught me years ago, years ago when I'm in this little raggedy rundown building. Uh, God began to talk to me about being fully persuaded. Because I'm in this little, I can put the little building up everywhere I go. God told me to show, show where I've come from. <clears throat> and so I'm in this little raggedy rundown building and that's my church, y'all. That's where I was. And, uh, <laughs> it was bad. This is 1980. It is really, really bad. I, uh, and I'm a full-time pastor because God told me not to go back to work. Told me that he was going to teach me how to live by faith. I told him I don't want to learn. He said, I'm going to teach you how to trust me. I said, I don't want to learn. Amen. I was a reluctant student, but I obeyed God. And God began to teach me how to live by faith. Many of the revelations that I teach now, God taught me those uh, revelations in this little book. I'm a full-time, in this little house, uh, this church. I'm a full-time pastor now. I don't have any members. I have 50 chairs. And... Uh, uh, I don't have 50 people on Sunday morning, but God is teaching me how to live by faith. And one of the lessons that he taught me was this lesson on being fully persuaded. He said, now, son, I'm going to take you to some places I want to take you. But in order to get there, you've got to be fully persuaded right now that I'm able to do it. And so I'm saying to you today, wherever you are in your life situation, you have to reach a place where you're fully persuaded on the promises of God. And that, as Abraham said, as Abraham says, he is well able to perform it. Amen. Now, so we have uh, three simple points. And if we're a good class, we'll get to all of them. Point number one is the historic order, historic established order of God involvement. In other words, God wants to get involved. But if we want to look at this historic established order of God getting involved all right he wants to get involved we're going to, we're going to show that then we're going to look at the second point it's going to be the human encounters that obligate God to get involved what can I do to obligate God getting involved in my situations and then we'll close it out with the <clears throat> honest expectation of the omnipotent God getting involved what is my expectation for God getting involved. So let's go to work, y'all. And so we can leave here today with a confidence that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, no matter uh, what comes our way, we are fully persuaded everything is going to be all right. Amen. So uh, let's, let's, you know, God, God has promised some things. He's, he's promised that he's going to help me in problem situations. And he's promised that he will honor and promote me. He, and he, he promised that he would do these things. So, you know, the promising, the promotion, that's all good. That's, we love that part. But it's when we have to walk through difficult times that the devil wants to get us to question God. Amen. But now let's talk about why problems come. Problems come, number one, because of human error. Amen. We'll face problems because, like the prodigal son, he made a bad choice. Number two, problems come because of satanic attacks. 
The Bible talks about how Job was going through a season of problems simply because the devil was attacking him. Number three, problems will come in our lives because of the challenge of the times. That is what happened. Uh, Elijah is at the brook, Cherith, and the Bible says the brook dried up, not because he was in the wrong place, not because he had done anything wrong, but the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. As problems come also because of, watch this now, the call of God. David is fighting Goliath. Why? Because of the call of God that's on his life. Paul and Silas, they're in jail. Why? Because of the call of God on their lives. And then there's a fifth reason. Mean people, just some mean people in the world cause the problems. Amen? That is why Paul writes concerning the coppersmith, Alexander. He said, now y'all watch out for him. He's a mean dude. Amen. So I understand why problems come. I must also understand that God is not the author of my problem. How can I expect God to bring me out of my problem if he's the one that's causing it? Now, there is a thing called the judgment of God. This is for the theologians. I understand that. But even the judgment of God only comes because of a human error. Amen. Now, but here's the good thing that no matter what situation I'm in, problem situation I'm in, God has promised that he will get involved to get me out. He will get involved to get me out. Listen, the protection of God is amazing. And a lot of people, they they get confused when it comes to the protection of God uh, because, see, we, we have this one-dimensional thinking of protection, that protection means nothing ever happens. But that's not how the Bible talks about protection. And that's really not the protection you have with your insurance company. See, the insurance company doesn't say nothing will ever happen. They just say, if something happens, we're going to be there. Amen. So when you look at the dynamics of the protection of God, I see it in several ways. Number one, the, I can see the protection of God where God actually um, protects me from the events of danger. Everybody say events. Yeah. In other words, there, are, there is some protection where God stops stuff before it happens. We love that. But then there is the protection. Okay. All right. Thank you all so much. All right. Then there's the protection, not only from the events of danger, but from the effects of danger. Everybody say effects of danger. Now, this is like uh, when uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go through the fiery furnace. The Bible says that there was not even a hint of smoke on them. They went through the danger, but it didn't affect them. And many times we go through things, but when we come out, nobody ever knows that we have gone through anything. So the protection of God is not only protecting us from events of danger, protecting us from the effects of danger, but then he empowers us for danger. That's why I say you put on the whole armor of God. What? That's so you can be protected from the wiles of the devil. And then the fourth dimension of the protection of God comes in when God, watch this, he extricates us from danger. All right, what do you mean? I mean, when you're going through, God's getting there and gets you out. He extricated uh, uh, Paul and Silas. He, he, he got them out. Amen. So I'm talking to you when we talk about God's protection. God says, listen, I'm with you and I'm going to protect you. But now you cannot have this one dimension thing on protection that you're only protected if nothing happens because that's not the Bible. 
The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers us out of them all. So if my thinking on protection is only that God will never let anything happen, it's not in line with the word of God. But my, I understand God is my protector because no matter what happens, I'm going to come out on top. Can I get a witness in this place? Amen, amen, amen. And so the history, the historical established order of God is that God wants to get involved. Can I get you to say that God wants to get involved? God, yeah, God, somebody on the, somebody out there. Yeah, God wants to get involved. He, he really wants to get involved, but he cannot unless you allow him to. Amen. Now, so uh, the uh, misunderstanding of the uh, protection of God comes when people have this one dimension. And then the misunderstanding of God's protection is when I call, what I call when people are defiant. What do you mean defiant? They do stuff and thank God going to bring them out. Well, that's what the devil tried to do with, with, with Jesus. He said, okay, you know what the Bible says. The Bible says uh, the angel's going to help you. So come on, jump off of this mountain. Jesus said, I ain't falling for that. That's the defiant. And you see people do things intentionally against the word of God. And thank God going to bring them out. See, that's not dependent on the protection of God. If I'm dependent on his protection, watch this. I'm going to walk in line with his word. Now, so number one uh, uh, on, the, on this historic is that uh, the scripture attests to God's involvement. How does the scripture attest to God's involvement? Because the scripture tells me that uh, he will supply my needs. The scripture tells me that um, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he'll deliver me. Then the very examples of God's involvement. God uh, guided the children of Israel. He got involved in their journey from uh, uh, Israel, I mean, from Egypt to the promised land. He got involved with Daniel, with Daniel and, um, and caused the lions not to eat him up. He got involved with Jehoshaphat, caused his enemies not to triumph over him. And so we can see throughout the word of God, the Bible talks about how God gets involved. So the scripture attests to it. There are examples of it. But now let's do an analysis of God's involvement because we, our confidence in that we are not shaken, fully persuaded, is that we understand, and they sung it in the praise, we understand that God's going to walk with me through whatever situation I go through and that I'm going to come out on top. Can I get you to say that? I'm coming out on top. Mm -hmm. Now, so then, he will get involved, the spiritual analysis. He'll get involved, number one, because he is preeminent. Okay, now what you mean by that? He'll get involved because ain't nobody like him. And when he wants to do something, can't nobody stop him. He's God. Amen. Amen. Yeah, he is preeminent. He's God. And when the preeminent God who has the last word, whenever you see in the Bible, most high, that means he's got the last word. He's preeminent. He's got the last word. And when God wants to do something for you, nobody can stop him. He's God. He's, he's God who spoke to darkness and light came forth. He's God. He's God. Yeah. Who called order out of chaos. He's God who scooped out the, uh, the seas and pushed up the mountains. 
He's God who sifts lightning through his fingers. He's God who spanked the babbling brooks and they ran into streams and then streams ran into rivers and rivers ran into oceans and oceans ran into seas. He's God. He skips through the elements and clouds form at his feet step. Yeah, he puts one foot on the land, the other on the sea and swears by himself because ain't nobody greater than him. He's God. So when God wants to do something, can't nobody stop him. He's going to get involved and he will get involved because he's preeminent. He'll get involved because he promised. Yeah, he promised. And when God promises, he puts his word on the line. And nothing is stronger than his word. Amen. And there's enough power in his word to make whatever he promised come to pass. And that's what we have to understand, that nothing can change this word. Amen. He's bound by his character to, to, uh, to, uh, to keep his word. Heaven and earth, scripture says, will pass away, but his word will never pass away. God's not a man that he couldn't lie. So if he promised it, he'll make it good. That's what the scripture tells me in Numbers 23 and 19. If he promised it, he'll make it good. Everybody say, if he promised it. He'll make it good. Whether he promised it in the word or whether he promised it to you personally with a rainbow word, if he promised it, he will make it good. Amen and amen, amen. So Jesus is teaching one day to the, the, uh, the apostles and uh, he says, uh, um, who do you, who do men say that I am? One said, Elias, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said, but who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he says, blessed art thou, Simon, for Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you. He said, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Isn't that awesome? Now see, when you think of church, you think of building. I'm not talking about building. You be the church. He's talking about your own life. Of course, we're the church collectively and all of the revelations okay, can apply to every one of them. But he said, this rock, what is this rock? It's the rock of revelation knowledge. He says, because he says, now, Peter, you know who I am by revelation knowledge. And I know who you are by revelation knowledge. And therefore, by revelation knowledge, I will build my church. That's the rock. And the very counsel of God, the strategies of the devil, whatever the devil plans, will never prevail against it. I wish I had somebody. Amen, amen. That's a confidence that no matter what you go through individually, you be the church. Or no matter what a church goes through individually, Jesus says, I will build it, I will maintain it, and not the counsel of darkness will not prevail against it. Fully persuaded. Everybody say fully persuaded, fully, fully persuaded. I'm, I'm fully persuaded. Not only will God get involved because he's preeminent, not only will he get involved because he promised, but he will get involved because he's my partner. Now what do you mean my partner? No, no. We a partnership with, our partnership with God is established in our covenant. And he says, I will never leave you. Amen. So he's saying, listen, don't worry about my part. 
I'm going to do, <laughs> I'm going to do my part. You just do your part. Amen. Amen. He, he's our partner and he's a faithful partner. Everybody say he's faithful. So the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, hold fast. Let's hold fast to the confession of our faith without rave, wavering for he is faithful that promised. And that's what Abraham says there in Romans and Romans chapter four. It says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, understanding that he's faithful. Yeah, he's able, but he's faithful. He's faithful. Everybody say he's faithful. He's faithful. Yeah, he's faithful. Even when I can't see him working, he's faithful. <laughs> amen, amen. Yeah. Several years ago, we were coming from Bang, um, uh, Bangar, Maine. Yeah. And um, we, were, we were getting ready to, uh, we had flown in there to get some fuel. And they were saying how the weather was turning bad. And if we didn't hurry up and, and leave, that we would be snowed in. And, you know, that's the last place you want to be snowed in. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, we had cold weather this week for, I mean, last couple, last month, we had, for a couple of days. But, you know, we're not used to cold weather. Y'all are kind of used to it here in Dallas, but we don't play that in Houston. So, 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 so listen, we got our few and they, t- it's, it, it was t- telling me about a whiteout. That's when, when you can see the snow. And every time you know, the snow is building up and it just whites everything out, it's just close and close to you. So I'm looking out of the window of the plane and there it is, it's coming. So I'm saying, okay, let's go. Let's get, let's get out of here. They already fueled us up. Let's get out of here. And so they, they're on the runway and they're just sitting there. And I'm in my seat going, let's go. Let's get out of here. And so I go up to the cabin and uh, I, I look and because, uh, you know, I'm trying to, and I look, and I say, how come we not? And then I stop. And they say, Pastor, he said, they're plowing the runway so that we'll have a smooth takeoff. Yeah. See, they were working, but I didn't see it. Yeah. And I want you to know that even when you can't see it, you got to be fully persuaded that he's working. Yes, he is. He's working. Amen. Amen. He's my partner. Now, let's look at point number two, human encounters that obligate God to get involved. What can I do? So I obligate. Now, I know a lot of people don't like their word obligate. Now, you can obligate God. Yes, you can. Uh, when I'm saying obligate, I'm not saying that I can come up with some whim and God's going to do it like he's a genie. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying God is obligated to keep his word. I can get God involved simply by what God's word says do. If I do it, God is obligated to get involved. Do you understand that? All right. So with that being said, number one, he's obligated to help me. He's obligated to get involved for my surrender. When I surrender my life to him, Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So I obligate God to get involved in my life when I give him my heart. When I give him my heart, he, ta- he causes the transformation on the inside of me. Amen. As I looked at my hands and now your hands may not look new, feet may not look new, but your spirit becomes alive to God. He does that. That's what being born again is all about. And before the service is over today, give you an opportunity to do that. Secondly, God gets involved. I obligate God to get involved through my supplication. 
My supplication. Now, what do you mean? My supplication is my prayer. Prayer gets God involved. He says, call on me and I will answer. So if I want to get God involved in my life, I want to, I want to, I really have to be fully persuaded that my prayer life means something. Now, that's why the devil fights you so much at prayer, because God waits to be invited. Call on me and I will answer. Jeremiah 33 and 3. See, he waits to get involved. And since the devil knows this, what he wants to attack first is your prayer life. So that you won't petition him to get involved. Amen, amen. But the scripture plainly says that if you will call on him, he will answer. And then Philippians chapter 4, he says, let your supplications be known unto God. So when I'm talking about my supplication, that's that heartfelt, earnest prayer to God. Amen. Be careful for nothing, but, 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 but with everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be known to God. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So if I pray, God will move in my situation. Amen and amen. All right. So now I understand I can obligate God to get involved, obligate God to help me when I surrender my will to him, obligate God to help me when I pray. Amen. I can obligate God to help me when I sow. Amen. But now let's back up. I want to go to Psalms 91. Psalms 91. I want you to see this in Psalms 91 because I just love this passage. Psalms 91, I guess, is probably one of the most beautiful psalms uh, where it talks about uh, God getting involved in our lives. Of course, I want to pick it up there at verse uh, uh, verse 14. It says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. He's involved. I will set him on high. Because he hath known my name. Now, what do you mean by knowing his name? His name is about his character, who he is, what I can expect of him. All right? He will call upon me. All right? That's the supplication. That's the prayer. And I will answer. See, if I call, he will. If I call, he will. Watch this. I will be with him in trouble. Oh, my God. I will deliver him. Amen. As a result of prayer, I will honor him. And I love this in another translation it says, for the honor, he says, I'm going to throw him a party. Y'all didn't get excited about that. God says, out of your trouble, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to deliver you. And at the end, I'm going to celebrate you. Amen, amen. All right, now let's get to this next part. Because I'm going to go to this next part. And that is, I will obligate God uh, to, uh, to, uh, to help me by sowing, by sowing to him. Amen, that's, that's, that's about giving. I knew he was going to talk about giving. You know who I am? No, that's my assignment. That's my assignment. I didn't ask for this assignment. That's what God gave me. And God taught me about the power of giving. And God never asked you to give without him letting you know it's an invitation for him to get involved in your life. Amen, amen. Now, (laughs) it's amazing, watch this, because God spoke to me last year and said that this would be the year of unprecedented prosperity. Unprecedented means never happened like this before. We can already see it. When before have you seen the government just hand you money? 
just, that's unprecedented. Yes, it is. And then giving you money for your children too. You're about to have more money in your hands than you've had in a long, long time. Amen. You know, my stimulus case don't come from the government because, you know, I don't qualify, but I'm just happy for the poor folk who get it. I'm happy for the folk who get it. Amen. Amen. But now watch this now. That doesn't mean I don't have to pay tithes on that. No, I pay tithes on all of my increase. And that's unprecedented increase. So you need to give an unprecedented offering. Amen. Now, now, uh, I need to put my little raggedy building back up there because God taught me about giving years ago. He taught me, now I'm in this little raggedy building. Put it up there because you have to see the context of this. And he asked me for a seed of $10,000. I don't have 50 members. And uh, he asked me for a seed of $10,000. I tell this everywhere I go, uh, $10,000. Now, why would God do that? Because he had an unprecedented harvest. But he wasn't going to change the rules for me. I had to give an unprecedented seed. Amen. I told God, I don't have $10,000. He said, you can get it. I said, well, if I, if I got it somewhere, please tell me where it is. <laughs> and he told me, I'm not telling anybody else. I sold my house. I sold my house. Took the Lady B and I got an agreement. Sold my house. Took the equity. Now, we're talking 1980. I don't know nobody giving money like this in 1980. And uh, we sold $10,000. In the kingdom of God. Now today's money is like 35000 And my life turned around right there. I started prospering right there. Now I know you said, well, you should have fixed that building. You can't fix that. You have, to, you have to move. Come on. You have to move. <clears throat> now last Sunday was our giving Sunday at New Light. Lady B and I started off with $125,000. Amen. And then she gave, gave an again seed of $10,000. Amen. But see, God taught me that we give, number one, systematically, every time we get increased, that's the time. We give spontaneously when God moves on our hearts like Zacchaeus. We give, watch this, uh, we give strategically when I find a promise in the word of God, I can sow a seed based on the promise of that giving. And then I give, watch this, sacrificially, above and beyond my initial expectation. And it is that sacrificial giving that gets God's attention, that causes God to go to work. So we're going to give sacrificially and watch God work. Everybody saying, watch him work and watch him work. So I gave back then $10,000 and I began to watch God work. He began to raise up others to use their power, their ability, and their influence to help me. Amen. And amen. Amen. So the Bible is clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. It says, and God is able. That means God going to work. Once I give, once I sow, and I cannot get a, an unprecedented harvest unless I'm willing to obey God and sow an unprecedented seed. Did you get that? Did you get that? Because, no, you're not buying a blessing. Why are you going to say that? You're not buying a blessing. But I'm demonstrating, God, you're the source and sustainer of my life. And this is a kingdom principle that I trust. And every time I trust it, see, I'm fully persuaded on it now. Because I've, I've come from a $10,000 giver uh, to, uh, and twice a year, we give over $100,000 on our giving day. Amen. 
Now I don't know why y'all want to say amen. You trying to act like a hundred thousand dollars ain't no uh, offerings, not nothing. Come on now, don't don't play me like that. Amen. Now, watch this, watch this, watch this. Now, I only give you my testimony. Why? Because I want to inspire you. I want you to inspire you because when I give, I wait and I watch God work. Everybody say, watch him work, watch him work. Amen and amen. Now, uh, okay, we got to wrap it up. We got to wrap it up. So now, so um, I get God involved. Number one, I get him involved when I uh, surrender. I get him involved through my supplication. I get God involved through my sowing. I get God involved through my serving. Now, how do I serve? I serve him by serving others. Jesus said, what you've done for the least of these, you've done it unto me. So my giving does not exempt me from hands-on service. Amen. And Job says, in Job, the, the scripture says in Job uh, uh, 36 and 11, if they obey and serve him, they'll spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Now, so how can I be sure? What's my honest expectation of God working, this omnipotent God working? Number one, God will keep his word if he has to work sovereignly to do it. Everybody say sovereign action. Yeah, that's that supernatural, miraculous thing. You go to the doctor, they take an x-ray, a spot is there on your lungs. Amen, amen. He tells you it's serious. You come to church, the man of God lays hands on you, pray over you. You walk out glorifying God. You go back to the doctor, they take another x-ray, and it's gone sovereignly. How many know we serve a supernatural God? Something supernatural happened the other day in church. Uh, uh, doctor, I was praying at the close of the service. And boy, I sensed the power of God in there. And that was a girl who was going through a lot. I mean, she had all kind of negative reports. They about to send her to specialists and that sort of thing. And she said she reached out and grabbed that. And she, she, she took another test. She had just got a bad test. But she took another test. And it was all great. Sovereign. Number two. Number two. I expect God to work at through, watch this, um, surrogate agents. Everybody say surrogate agents. And what do you mean? I expect God to raise up somebody to help me. Somebody need the document. I'm, I'm expecting God to raise up somebody to help me. Nobody makes it without help. And what we have to under, understand is I have to release my faith intentionally for God to raise up somebody to help me. And God told me one time, he said, now you pray everybody free to obey me that I'm talking to about helping you. You got to pray him free. But I'm expecting help. Everybody say, I'm expecting God to help. Watch this. And then God will help me. He'll get involved uh, to help me through uh, um, uh, spiritual angels. Everybody say angels. Now, I believe in angels. Angels, the Bible says, they are ministry spirits. And they have, they, they have been assigned to minister to us who are as of salvation. I believe in angels. I've seen angels. Uh, I've seen, you know, angels. I don't see angels every day. Come on now, I don't do that. But I have seen angels. I have experienced the power of angels where you can't explain what happened other than God did it. Amen. And then finally, as I began to wrap up, and you're going to have to buckle your seatbelts on this one. God will keep his word, watch this, through sovereign action. He'll keep his word through working through surrogate actions or agents. He'll keep his word through working through spiritual angels. And then he'll keep his word 
working through satanic attacks. Hmm. <laughs> I know that. I just kind of settled on that. What? Yes. The very thing the devil attempts to use to hurt you, God will use it to promote you. All right, preacher, you got to prove that by the Bible. Oh, I'm glad you asked me to do that. Because when I look in the word of God, I see it was the devil that caused Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. Amen. But God used it to position him to be the prime minister of Egypt. It was the devil that caused Paul and Silas to be thrown in jail in Philippi. But God used it and worked through it to start the church at Philippi that was the only church that supported Paul throughout his ministry. Amen. It was the devil that caused the death of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says if they had known, if the devil had only known what he was doing, he never would have crucified him. I'm telling you today, that I understand now, when the Bible says, count it all joy when you fall in the diver's temptation. That's why you shout when you see the devil trying to disrupt your life because God has made a commitment. I'll take what the devil meant for evil and I'm going to use it for your good. <laughs> yes, he will. Yes, he will. He did it for He did it for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was the devil that caused them to be thrown into the fire. But God stepped in in a sovereign act heat out the fire. Yes, he did. Amen, amen, amen. And caused them to be promoted. God has a way of taking what the devil tries to do and using it to promote you. It was the devil who was taunting the children of Israel back in the valley with Goliath walking to and fro and cussing God out. It was the devil, but God raised up a surrogate. He raised up David and David took him out. What the devil means for evil. Well, you got to get this. But you, you, you got to get this because this is what causes many believers to throw in the towel. This is what caused many believers to say, oh God, why did you let this happen? You got to understand God is always at work. Everybody say God is always at work. Stories told. Everybody say he's closed and he's closed. Stories told of a rat. The rat is peeping through the hole and he sees the owner come from the store with a mouse trap, a rat trap. He gets all nervous. So he runs to the chicken and says, chicken, would you pray for me? He said, the owner bought a rat trap. Chicken said, ain't my problem. You're in the house. We're out here in the barn. He goes to the pig. Pig, the owner got a rat trap. Would you pray for me? I ain't praying for you. I got other things to concern myself with. He goes to the cow. Cow, I just need somebody to get in agreement with me because they bought a rat trap. Cow said, listen, that's not my problem. That's your problem. Well, you gonna pray? I'm not praying for you. So the kid, the soul, so the rat rejected to go back into the house. 
He's very careful now because he's got to be careful when he finds food because he doesn't know whether or not it's connected to the trap. But then at night, you hear the trap catch its prey. The owner gets up to go and examine the trap. And the tail of a poisonous snake is in the trap. And as the owner got closer, they didn't see it. And the snake bit her on the leg. So they had to rush her, her husband rushes her to the hospital and uh, they uh, work on her, send her back home. Her recovery period is uh, pretty extensive and uh, it goes on, on much longer than they thought. So, well, while she's ill, you got to, you know, you got to minister to her. And so the owner says, I tell you what, I'm going to make my wife some soup. So he goes and he kills the chicken. It goes much longer than he thought and people were coming in and out and he needed food to feed them. So he uh, kills the pig. Unfortunately, his wife dies, passes away. And they now need food for the repast. And he kills the cow. And now the rat is looking through the peephole. And he said, if they had only known the impact of what was happening to me, they would have prayed for me. I want you to know that just because something is not happening to you doesn't give you the liberty, the exemption, not to pray for who's going through. Because you never know the impact. It's an amazing thing how in the moment we miss it because we don't know the impact. Andrew had no idea of the full impact of him witnessing to his brother Peter, but he watched God work. Rahab had no idea of the full impact of her helping the spies escape capture, but she did as she watched God work. Miriam had no idea of the full impact of her taking care of her baby brother Moses, but she did. And she watched God work. Abram had no idea of the full impact of his commitment to God and leaving Ur of Chaldees. But he did. And he watched God work. Isaac had no idea of the full impact of him sowing in the midst of a famine. But he did. And he watched God work. Jacob had no idea of the full impact of his meditation of the spotted and speckled cows. But he did. And he watched God. Gideon had no idea of the full impact of his commitment to fight the 135,000 Midianites with 300 men, but he did. And he watched God. Joshua had no idea of the full impact of him serving Moses and being faithful to Moses, but he did. And he watched God work. Deborah had no idea of the full impact of her serving as a woman, a judge, but she did. And she watched Amen, amen, amen. Mary and Martha had no idea of the full impact of their friendship with Jesus until their brother died and they what? Amen. Nicodemus had no idea of the full impact of that secret meeting with Jesus, but he did and he... Amen. Peter had no idea of the full impact of him helping Jesus get out of debt, but he did and he... 
Paul had no idea of his commitment on the Damascus road, but he did and he... Amen. I had no idea in 1980 of the full impact of my yes to God that day, but I did. And I've been watching God work. I grew up as a boy preacher. I started preaching when I was 10 years old. And as, as I was growing up, older pastors would get up and they would close with, I have lived long enough. I couldn't do that. I'm 10 years old. I can't close when I live long enough. They'd be looking at me funny, I said. I'm 68 now. I got 58 years of service in the kingdom. Amen. That's over half a century. I have seen things happen. I'll be 69 this year. I think I've earned the right to close big time. So I'm going to close big time like the old preachers used to close. Amen. I have lived long enough. That now I know behind every dark cloud there is a silver lining. I have lived long enough to tell you today, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. <laughs> I have lived long enough to let you know only God has the last word. I'm out of time. God bless you. Come on, church. We may be going through, but we didn't go through to stop. We're going through to go forward.